Now, we're in a series now called Less. And uh, I was looking over my sermon notes again this morning, and I was thinking, you know, I really need to, I need to rewrite this one more time. I know the sermon process is you start out with, well, I do it anyway, 12, 13, 14 pages of notes, and the rest of the week is spent d- deleting and editing down, trying to get it down to where it makes sense. So I realized, I looked at it this morning and thought, you know, I really need to rewrite it one more time because uh, as, as my son will say about my preaching, sometimes it's kind of dense. It, it, and, and so it's kind of, I say deep. I think it's kind of deep. So sometimes when things are kind of deep, people can get lost. And, you, you know, you, so, so I'm just going to prepare you that today's sermon, you're, you're going to have to work a little bit to make application. Because sometimes when things are a little deep, you, 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 you can make the wrong application. You can think you did what Pastor Phil was advising you to do, but you didn't do. You went too far, or you didn't get it quite right, you know? And so that's why I said, and, and I'm in good company, by the way. I know you want me to be more like Andy Stanley and really simple and give you one thing, or more like Joel Osteen and just something very simple. I know some of you would like that, but I'm not Joel Osteen. I'm Phil McCutcheon. I'm not Andy Stanley. Last time I checked. So, so, um, so I just want to prepare you. You got to work a little bit to take today's sermon and go and apply it. In fact, the reason the reason I moved to this because because a fellow I'm about to introduce to you got it wrong. He he took my sermon and he took it a little bit too far. And um, his name is Stan Leland, and we're going to introduce him to you right now. And just just this is just purely to show you uh, what happens when you don't listen carefully enough. Good day, mate. It's me, Stan Leland. I'm here to change your life. Are you tired of having a messy house filled with clutter? Are you tired of agonizing over decisions about which one to purchase? Are you tired of worrying about all your precious possessions being carried away by a flood? Well, I've got the answer for you. Maximum minimalism. G'day! Welcome to my minimalist home. As you can see, I've purged all but the essentials There's one of me, one chair, that's all I need. My wife's friends and family would sit around here for hours. Uh, But now, for various reasons, uh, this chair is all I need. I sit here every night and think about my life. What is minimalism, you ask? It's maximizing your potential possessions by minimizing your physical possessions and thus actualizing your greatest self. With my amazing workbooks, you'll learn such minimalist techniques as how to declutter. Why, I've even decluttered my relationships. Some call it divorce. I call it decluttering. Only the things that I know how to prepare, such as this soup or these crackers and this peanut butter, I have also decluttered the utensils and left only with the one item that is truly essential. And also I could use this to serve uh, any guests, say, if my ex-wife were to come by for her favorite soup. And you'll learn about techniques for purchasing only the very best items. If you're going to have a minimal number of physical possessions, they should be the very best. For example, I've minimized my wardrobe to only this all-purpose jumpsuit 
that works for any occasion. You still want to create a space that inspires you and that is your own. And that's why I have the greatest of all time, truly an inspiration. When you're in a game, a challenging game, say uh, how to win back your ex-wife, you need that inspiration. You need to know that even though you're older, Tom Brady's 40 years old, playing at the highest level, he still inspires me that I can win. Many of your homes are filled with sentimental trappings of yesterday. You're trying to run into a minimalist future and you should let those things go with no guilt. Wedding rings, who needs those? Old wedding photos from your ex-wife. My honeymoon in Mexico. I no longer need a reminder of Mexico and this serves no use to me, so I will purge it. You don't need those things. Get rid of them and be free to flow into your minimalist future. Welcome to my minimalist bedroom, my child's sleeping bag. Thank you, uh, Billy, for offering this to your daddy. It covers me uh, sufficiently. It's everything I need. Sheila, if you're uh, looking for this, feel free to come by and we could talk about it. Maximize your minimalism and change your life, just like I've changed mine. Right, Sheila, you can see I've changed. I'm a changed man. You said I would be nothing. I would never have a real job. I've got everything. Well, I've got minimal everything, but I've got uh, my guide and uh, a, it's, a, it's a real, it's a real job. It's a, it's a real thing. So you should uh, take, take me back. Take, take me back, Sheila, please. Uh, I don't know what redeeming value that had, but it's uh, funny. <laughs> We're talking about understanding our need for a less burdened life. And if your spouse is the problem, do not discard them, okay? Last week, we talked about less clutter and more biblical relationships with our material world. Today, we're going to take a look at how playing less roles or with less intensity is also a biblical path to the abundant life. We're talking about today about being less. And this is tricky because there's so much in the Bible about stepping up and taking responsibility. There's so many, so many passages about picking up your load, but there's also passages about sharing the load about being still and making room for others in your life to take responsibility or to step up. Those passages can get obscured. We can get so caught up in the Protestant work ethic that we forget there's also a Christian trust ethic. That Christian trust ethic that allows us to let go and be less in some very key areas of our life. Our biblical example today is John the Baptist. John chapter 19, verse 30. Four, verse 1, um, chapter 1, I mean verse 19 through 34. Listen this. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Christ. They said then, or they asked, then who are you? 
Elijah, he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take us back to those who sent us. Who, what do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, some Pharisees who were sent out questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The thongs of his sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except, except the one who sent me to baptize me with water told me. The man on whom you see the Holy Spirit come down on and remain is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify about this. This is the Son of God. Notice me, notice with me in this text that John the Baptist was quick to tell us not who he was, but who was quick to tell us who he was not. That brings the question that I want to present to you in your life, for you today, and that is, I know you're really concerned about everyone knowing who you are, and we're taught very strongly to have high self-esteem and high self-worth, and those are biblical concepts and really important ones, and we're not going to let them go. But do you know who you're not? Do you know what you're not? Do you know what responsibility you're not supposed to be holding on to? Do you know what role right now that you maybe not should not be playing? He was ready, John the Baptist is our example, because he was ready to be less. We're mandated, of course, with messages from the culture to discover what we are, but we need to discover what we're not. I know how frustrating it'd be and be in life to feel small. I know, you know, I've spent a lifetime being a kind of a small guy, you know, skinny, slender, uh, a lifetime of people trying to fatten me up. Um, I mean, uh, years ago, I went to counseling for some stuff going on in my life and trying to figure myself out and all of that. And, the counselor even told me that I should go to the gym. Seriously. That, that, that if I would go to the gym, maybe would, her, her feeling was that I could be more confident as a leader if I was more physically imposing. Uh, I know all the skinny jokes. I know all of them. If stick your tongue out, uh, you look like a zipper. Uh, you're so skinny that you can stand under a clothesline when it rains and stay dry. You're so skinny, you have to jump around in the shower to get wet. <laughs> so skinny that you have to have rocks in your pocket so you don't get blown away. I, I know all those skinny jokes. But, of course, there's a lot more to big presence than being robust in our physical parents, right? In fact, these people that were trying to help me 
in that early development of my life and of my ministry were trying to fix something in me that they saw was important that I needed to be a little more forceful as a person. I needed to be a little more intimidating. And there's nothing wrong with developing better presence and getting better at selling yourself. John the Baptist could have written the book on being a big personality. John the Baptist knew how to be big. He knew how to be forceful. He knew how to take the stage. I mean, look at him. He was a really, he had to be a very, a pretty physically imposing character. After all, Roman soldiers were going out and they were listening with rapt attention and they were getting baptized and they were repenting of their sins. He had to, he had to have the appearance of a man's man. And of course, he, he was flamboyant. He had these, he was wearing these camel's hair clothing. So he had these major clothing deal, fashion deal going on. He was cutting edge with fashion, he, and, and he had this uh, weird diet that everybody knew about. He ate locusts and wild honey, and I was thinking, I read this this week, and everybody, everybody's recommending the Daniel diet, but nobody ever talks about a John the Baptist diet, you know, or a John the Baptist fast. I think, I think Jim, this winter we should have a John the Baptist fast. Everybody eats locusts and wild honey for uh, 21 days. Let's see how that goes, you know? Anyway, is there any doubt that this guy had presence, that he had opinions, that he had public power, that he had something to say, that he could be large, that he could be big, that he could be major, that he could be forceful? The Bible says in Matthew 3, 5, people from Jerusalem and from all Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see him here, John. He was a rock star. But you keep reading what a narrative that you keep reading in John chapter 1, John chapter 2, and John chapter 3, he keeps reminding everybody who he was not. He keeps reminding everybody there, that I must be willing to be less. John 3, 26, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, talking about Jesus, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. To this, John replied, a man can only receive what is given him from heaven. Circle that as a philosophy in life. Are you trying to have things in power that God hasn't given you? Hear my question? Are you trying to, have, are you trying to control things that God has not given you? you the power to control. Are you trying to control people that God hasn't given you the power to control them? Are you trying to function in areas that God hasn't released you to function? John says, you yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And he goes on to talk about that. Then I like the last line. He said, he must become greater. I must become less. Now, I'm not suggesting that John was trying to be less stressed. No, he was not necessarily trying to be less stressed. He was trying to please the Lord live out the gospel and exalt Jesus. The sermon today is not really about just you trying to be less stressed. 
Because sometimes God calls us to things that are very stressful. This sermon is not just about you seeking a minimalist approach to be less stressed, but it is about obeying the Lord, pleasing the Lord, living out the gospel, advancing the kingdom, and exalting Jesus, making him center stage, proving by your releasing things, proving by not only by what you do, but by what you don't do, that you trust him, that you believe in him, and that he is your Lord. That's what we're talking about today. John the Baptist shows us we can be center stage without making an idol out of significance. The fact that he could move off the stage and give it to Jesus meant that he had not made an idol out of significance. I suspect that even in the church today, we've sometimes made an idol out of significance. I'm pretty sure one of the primary reasons people load up their little red wagons and leave one church and go to another is because they, for some reason, decide, I feel less significant in this church and I would feel more significant in another one. So what does it mean to be less? What does it mean to be less? Be less means accepting less power. Be less means accepting less control. Be less means accepting less attention. Be less means receiving less credit and acknowledgement. Be less means getting less recognition and glory. Be less means being comfortable with being less indispensable. Paul said, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me. It can be a good thing to be powerful. It can be a good thing to be in control. Power is not an evil thing. Control is not an evil thing. It can be a good thing, but also understand that less is also blessed. Less is also blessed. There's not a person in this room of whom it can't be said that somewhere in your life, like John the Baptist, you're being called to be less. Less in control, less acknowledged, less known, less opinionated, less heard, less involved, less promoted, less prominent, even less concerned. I'm not telling you a part of your menu, a part of the ingredients. Paul said, this is an amazing statement that Paul said in the book of Philippians. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I know how to be less. I know how to be more. Perhaps you heard of the self-important celebrity who went by a nursing home. Visiting a resident there. He could tell that she was not duly impressed with him. And so he finally looks at her and says, do you know who I am? And she said, no, but if you'll go down to the front desk, there's a nurse there that can tell you. Greg and Carolyn Kirshner, missionaries in Nigeria, recently pointed out that the Nigerians seem more naturally aware of God than most Americans. They saw this sign painted on the side of a bus. 
Man, no, be God. <laughs> Man, no, be God. That sums it up, doesn't it? This is what this is all about. You aren't God. You're not Jesus. You're not the Savior of the world. There's only one Savior of the world, and it's not you, and it's not me. There's only one who holds the world in his hands, and it's not you, and it's not me. There's only one who must have supremacy and, and ultimate control, and it's not you and I. So, what does it mean in our lives? What will happen if we know and we respond to this call? I know this is a dangerous sermon because somebody could quit something you're not supposed to quit. Some of you teenagers over here today, you're just thinking, man, I hope my mother and dad get this. They just need to be less in my life. No, they need to stay right where they are. Most cases, okay? I, I, I do, there are some helicopter moms and dads out there that do need to be less. I assume that anyway. I don't know any personally. But what will happen? Someone else, here's what will happen if I become less with the wisdom and will of God. Someone else that God wants to promote can emerge. Someone else that God wants to promote can't emerge if I don't become less. Someone else with talent and potential is being diminished if I don't become less. But by the way, speaking of talent and, and, and all that, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think we mentioned that we've had a new member of the worship team the last couple of weeks, Zach Crisidlow stands right here where I am. So. Zach, thank you and First, thank you, Elise, for, for singing today as well. Someone else with talent, someone who just needs more confidence in their own abilities can't get there if I don't become less. Someone else with a very important wisdom for me can't be heard if I don't become less. I, I like what Woodrow Wilson said. He said, I not only use all the brains I have, but all those that I can borrow. Someone who needs to be mature, and someone who needs to mature, I meant to say, and be given dignity to handle their own issues, their own problems, can't if I don't back off and become less. Someone who needs me, who doesn't need to need me, can't stop needing me if I don't become less. It's called codependency. You know that word, right? Someone who can do a better job than me can't do the better job than me if I don't become less. Someone who is unknown to me is being unknown to me. They're being smothered by me. Can't breathe free unless I become less. Someone I need to learn from can't teach me anything if I don't step back and become less. Most importantly, God can't be fully God in my life if I don't become less. I will always crowd God out. And I will always try to impersonate God. I will always try to impersonate God. That's the human tendency. When Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, he was calling us to stop over-functioning. Turn to your neighbor and said, he said over-functioning. 
I've never seen a dysfunctional family where one or both spouses weren't over-functioning. We over-function when we can't stand to let another person struggle. We think it's about them, but it's really not. It's about our anxiety. We get in the way because we are anxious. Because it bothers us. It doesn't make us feel good. Over-functioning. You know, this is so important when we raise our children. It is so important that we function in their lives, that we be present in their lives, but it's so important that we not over-function. You are called not not your call is uh, one as Tim Elmore likes to say, uh, you are called not to prepare the path for your child, but your child for the path. I said, you're called, Tim Elmore says, you're called not to prepare the path for your child, but your child for the path. Overfunctioning parents always try to run ahead of their child and take care of all possible problems that could be in front of their child. Properly wise, functioning parents find that balance between supervising, staying on top of things, knowing who the friends are, blocking some friendships. Absolutely okay to do that. It's okay to block some friendships that you know are going to lead your child astray. Absolutely okay. But there's a, there's a line that can be crossed where you don't let your kids fight any of their own battles. It starts in, uh, we run a school here, so it starts in first grade. It starts in first grade, where they, and every year you've got to give them a little more rope to let them fight their own battles. And when the parent always shows up to fight every kid's battle, you know it doesn't, it doesn't end well. That does not end well. This is, this is an example. That's an example of where you need to decrease that Jesus may increase. Here's three benefits of becoming less where God is directing you to be less. Other humans will be relieved. Other humans will be released. The human that is you will be refreshed because you won't be carrying such a load. It is really backbreaking to be God. It is really hard work. You can handle the task of being a human being. God has tailor-made an assignment for you that your body and mind can handle. You're going to get tired, absolutely, but you're not going to get ground into powder by the assignment that God has given you. If you're being ground to powder by the assignment, you're not doing the assignment that God gave you. Finally, the fourth benefit, I said three, but there's really four. I forgot to change the three to four. Jesus Christ will be lifted up. I'm going to tell you why. It's in the words of an old song that we used to sing. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there, the song said. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. That's what this sermon is partly about. It's about taking the burdens that's too heavy for you to bear. 
the ones that you know, and, and without me even going any further, and I'm going to try to clear this up in the next seven, eight minutes. I'm going to try to clear up more so you don't risk misapplying the word that I'm preaching today. But I'll guarantee you a bunch of you already know. I don't even have to say anymore. You already know. The Holy Spirit's already dealt with you. The Holy Spirit's already been talking to you about where in your life you need to let go and let God be God. Amen? The one sure sign you're being more than you should is that Jesus is being diminished. Instead, you and your frustrations become the center of attention. The gospel is obscured when I overfunction. Ultimately, our theology is revealed by our letting go or clinging to our own lordship. If you must always be the center of attention, then Jesus cannot be. That's the lesson of John chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Let's talk about when. Let's close this message today with when and how to be less. It's always smart to incorporate times of listening more and talking less. In every set of relationships, it's always smart to step back when another shows up who's obviously wiser or it's experiencing better results than you. It's, it's not demeaning, it's discerning when you realize that maybe in some situations somebody's weary of you. Doesn't mean you're bad. Let Jesus shine by, by giving them a break. Always be willing to accept that exhaustion, stress, and constant interpersonal conflict is often because we're doing too much. We're saying too much. We're worrying too much. We're pushing too hard. So let me give you these guidelines for when and how to be less. You know you're out of balance because you have become one-dimensional. What do I mean by one-dimensional? You know you're out of balance because you've become one-dimensional. Because you're always ranting. You're always griping. You've become one-dimensional. Paul said, I've become, if I don't have love, I've become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. The sweet sound of praise doesn't come from you. You've become one-dimensional. You've been reduced. You've been reduced to being a worrier or a fretter or a complainer. The second thing is in any relationship where you always talk more than you listen. Always. Now, there's nothing wrong in, in any group of people, uh, any two people, one person's more verbal than the other. That's, that's, I'm not talking about that. But where you always talk more than you listen and direct more than you receive directions. Always, always. The key word there is always. Thomas Nichols, who wrote a book that, uh, that Mike Sutton passed on to me or told me about and I downloaded it. He said, these are dangerous times. This is from the book is called The Death of Expertise. He said, these are dangerous times. Never have so many people had so much access to so much knowledge and yet have been so resistant to learning anything. <laughs> you know, God has sent smart, great people into our lives. There are, many of them are in this room. People who are a little better at something than you are. 
people that are having a little more success in their marriage or their finances or their parenting or their management of their health or their closeness to God and their spirituality. They're having a little more success than you are. When you get around them, be less. Be less. Ask them to be more. And sometimes, sometimes because they're people that are humble and they're walking with the Lord, they, they won't think about being more. You have to tell them. You have to say, come on, talk to me. Tell me how to do better. I'm struggling. I'm struggling with managing my finances. I'm struggling. I don't know what to do with my kid. I don't know what to do with my, my, my toddler. I don't know how to manage my teenager. Oh, it's great till they, till they, till they hit puberty. Now, now I feel like I'm living with aliens. But, I, but, but I've watched you. How, what do you do? You might be amazed that God has equipped you with a team around you that you're not utilizing, that you're not really taking advantage of the incredible giftings and spiritual power. That's right. Isn't that what a church is for? Isn't that what a church is for? It's not just a place for you to go here, the all-wise, all-knowing, omniscient, I'm not present, Pastor Phil, and you get to do that for 30, 40 minutes a week, and oh, that's what the church is about. No, it's all the people around you who have expertise that I don't have, who have knowledge that I don't have, who are knocking it out of the park somewhere in their life. God has given you these gifts. Humble yourself once in a while, and I bet you have an area where we can learn from you too, right? When you're emotionally, I'm talking about when, when you need to know to be less. When you're emotionally and physically exhausted. Even Jesus said, let's come apart and rest. When you really don't know how to get results or your approach has failed. Where you have a repeated pattern of failing and frustration. When you're no longer fun. Funny, lighthearted, or enjoyable because you feel you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. When it's obvious that God has sent someone into your world that knows how to get you where you want to go. When you have given your best, but there's still more to be done. You know, you got that internal thing. You just know, I've done my part. Now I've got to pass the baton to somebody else. When God, and here's the bottom line, and here was the bottom line for John the Baptist. John the Baptist heard the heavenly father say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He heard the authority and Jesus, the delegated authority. And because he heard the authority, that was the bottom line for him is he knew this is what God wanted to do. So when God's delegated authority says, thanks for serving, but we're going a different direction. A dear church member came to see me this week who's old enough to be my parent. And I was so humbled because they presented a situation to me and they asked, what, Pastor, what do you think I should do? I was really humbled by that. And they gave me examples. Just They didn't try to give me examples, but just as I asked for their, more of their story. 
of where they had asked other leaders, pastors and others, for counsel in the past, and they did exactly what the advice was the counsel. They went and followed the counsel to a T. That's an example of someone who's saying, even though I'm old enough to be your parent, I think I got a situation here where I don't know what to do, so I'm willing to be less. Do you get my point today? Are we communicating? Imagine what would happen if we all became more humble and more approachable. If we became less driven by our need for significance and more burdened to just see things succeed and flourish and God's goals accomplished. That's what drove John the Baptist. Just because he had been successful at being center stage in the past, And that's what gets us sometimes, because we've been successful. Just because he'd been successful in the past, he didn't cling to that as a position. He didn't cling to it as a position that he had a right to. That circumstances required him to always fill. And that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes we get stuck, even in our families. We get stuck, and this is my position in the family, and this is who I am in the family. This is what I do. And a new season comes along. And the Lord says, I want you to be something else in the family. Because I want to do something good for you. I want to save the world. (laughs) How many of you know that God is here to save the world? How many of you know that? How many of you know that, that? That whenever he humbles you, it's not to humiliate you. How many of you know that when he humbles you, it's not to humiliate you, but it's he's going to work differently through you than he did before to save the world. I hope that excites you like it does me. Imagine that we all begin to only care about human flourishing and God's kingdom being accomplished. We'd want our church to grow, no matter who got the credit. We'd want our kids to serve the Lord, no matter who got the credit or who God used to touch their hearts. We'd want our community to be more godly. We'd want it to to be more fair and to be more just, no matter who headed up what committee, we would easily get honest about our failures and our sins because we wouldn't need to create an image. Image would matter less than results. I'm going to give you this morning some assignments. I told you at the end of every sermon, I'm going to give you assignments. And for those of you who are visitors today, these are our prayer partners. And we're going to invite you to come down and be prayed over by them in a moment. But I want to give you some assignments first. You can do all three of these or one of these, whichever you like. Assignment number one, have a conversation this week in which you present a problem and ask the other person, what do you think I should do? And listen without interruption. Write someone a note. Explain to them just how valuable they are to you. If possible, choose someone that wouldn't expect that note from you this week. Thirdly, try this. Pray about a place in your life where you need to be less fearful, less concerned, less anxious, and even less responsible. Pray about that, okay? You know what it all boils down to? It all boils down to making Jesus Lord instead of you, or me. 
And maybe you're here today and you've never done that. That's part of what these prayer partners are up here. They're here available to pray with you. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never, some people like to picture a heart with a throne on it. And you're on the throne or Jesus is on the throne. So that's a good image. You've got your heart. There's a throne in it that's ruling and governance comes out of that place. Who's on that throne? Is Jesus on that throne? Maybe for you, he used to be, but you didn't think he was running things good enough, so you jump back on the throne and you knock him off. He'll let you do that. He'll let you push him off. But this morning, you're sitting there, you go, I want him back on the throne. Life has become too crazy for me, too stressful, too out of control. I need to get back to Jesus being my Lord. Come down to these prayer partners and tell them, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you do that? Anything going on out there in your life today, this is response time. There's communion available for you and there's prayer partners available for you. Let's all enter into response time. Let's enter into time of handing our burdens. So some of you just need to come down here and tell these prayer partners. I, you don't have to tell them what it is. I got a burden I want to give to the Lord today. Come on. Come give your burdens to the Lord. Let's respond.